Welcome to the first episode of Petrifaction. On today's show, we're going to have horror stories regarding travel. A lot of them are about camping and campers having spectacular things happen to them. A couple haunted hotel stories as well. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Mojave Incident by Ron Felber. The Mojave Incident was remade. It was actually called The Searchers. It was a book made in the early 90s by Ron Silver. And Ron Felber re-released the book under the new name, The Mojave Incident, in 2016. This is a true story of what happened in the Mojave Desert. It's been described as one of the scariest stories you've probably never heard about. And I do encourage you to take a look at this book. It's available online at most of the bookstores. This took place in October of 1989 in the Mojave Desert of Southeastern California. Now the Mojave Desert is located in parts of California, Arizona, Utah, and Nevada. It contains Death Valley and it's home to Joshua Trees. And if you've ever visited Las Vegas, you've been in the Mojave Desert. This story is about Stephen Don Hess. Now, in the book, they were referred to as Elise and Tom Gifford. But after the book was re-released in 2016, they came forward with their real identity. So I'm going to go ahead and use their real identity here as well, which is Steve and Don Hess. In 1989, they were a young couple with two little children. Uh, the kids were one was a baby and one was a toddler and they were just hoping to get away for the weekend. Steve's parents volunteered to watch their children for them so they could have a couple's weekend away and it was a much needed break for Dawn. They planned to camp at Mid Hills Campground which is several miles away from their home in California. They borrowed a camper which it was a truck camper from Steve's parents and they headed out towards the campgrounds but unfortunately due to some weather they were delayed in getting to their destination and when they finally arrived the campground was full. Really having no other choice except maybe to just sleep on the, on the side of the road somewhere, Steve drove them into the desert. Now He had been out to this desert in this area just the week before when he was hunting with his brother and his father. And he had hunted here before. He was very familiar with this place. So thinking of this, he took Dawn into this remote part of the desert. It was about six miles into the Mojave. And just to just, there was no cell phone of any kind in 1989. So just keep that in mind. And even today, if you would go to this area, it is so remote. I'm not sure what the likelihood it would be that you would have a cell phone and actually have 
service there anyway. So this was really remote. Um, I'm not very familiar with the area, but they noted that it is about 500 yards away from Tabletop Mountain. They set up camp, made a fire pit, and Steve cooked steaks and beans over an open fire. While cooking dinner, Steve noticed a bright light in the sky, and he had seen a UFO when he was a, a lot younger, when he was visiting with his parents at Mojave Lake. And this bright light reminded him of that, and he watched the light, but it disappeared behind Tabletop Mountain. So he just went around, he just kept cooking dinner, and he and Don ate dinner, and it, it was just gone, it disappeared, so he didn't give it much more thought. After dinner, they were stargazing. Steve was pointing out constellations to Dawn, and while looking at the night sky, Dawn actually noticed a really bright light that she referred to as a triple star. When Steve looked at it, it was very bright, and it had turned into several smaller lights. And when they saw this, he thought it was just aircraft from Nellis Air Force Base, and the likelihood was that there were probably just some maneuvers going on. Now, in the Mojave Desert, where they were located, they were actually not far from several Air Force bases. One of them, Nellis, that he had mentioned. Edwards Air Force Base is also close by, as well as Groom Lake and Area 51. The lights began blinking as if communicating to each other. And the lights actually formed an M pattern above them and what were only like a, about nine or so lights turned into hundreds of lights and they looked like they were parachuting down to the desert floor. The couple said that it appeared and an onslaught or a swarm was invading and he, they said at this time there was hundreds if not thousands of white lights coming down. The hundreds of lights turned red and began moving close to the couple, coming towards them at a light speed. Now Steve thought, well, they thought they were red lights coming at them, but as Steve was watching them, he noticed that these were actually red eyes and not lights. And as they got closer, Dawn thought that they were being invaded by a Russian army and she thought that they were going to be killed. I do want to stop here because in 1989, the United States and Russia were in the Cold War, and I don't think it's ridiculous at all that Don thought that they were possibly being invaded by Russian troops. Um, as a matter of fact, in 1984, a movie was released called Red Dawn, and it starred Patrick Swayze, Charlie Sheen, Leah Thompson, and few others. And in this movie, it was exactly that scenario that the Russians had invaded along with help from Cuba and, and the United, the continental United States was invaded and uh, there was like a third world war going on. So this is what Dawn thought. And in 1989, that was not considered ridiculous at the time. Steve went into protective mode. He extinguished the fire 
gathered Dawn up and directed her to go to the only protection that they had, which was the camper truck. Now, Dawn wanted to leave. Actually, Steve wanted to leave as well. Unfortunately for them, these creatures were all around them, surrounding them, and they really didn't have an escape route. And we're going to take a short break. We will be right back. Petrifaction is sponsored in full by LegacyBrewing.shop. What is LegacyBrewing.shop? Well, it may not be what you think. It's all about the coffee. LegacyBrewing.shop has gourmet coffee, and as a coffee connoisseur myself, let me just tell you, it's fantastic. The first pot I smelled brewing just smelled so good. And once you take your first sip, you're going to fall in love with this coffee just like I did. LegacyBrewing.shop also has a variety of flavored coffees such as mocha, caramel, and French vanilla. They are rich, they're aromatic, oh, and they're so delicious. Go to LegacyBrewing.shop today and check them out. back. Now getting back to the story, the couple had just headed to the camper truck and Steve was in protective mode and he actually had some guns with him. And before we go any further, the description of these creatures, because we didn't get into it, there were red eyes that were coming at them. And later on, Steve and Dawn described these creatures as being gremlin-like, um, impish, also, maybe like monkey men or red-eyed terrorists. So those are some really good descriptions of what these things were that were coming after them. In the hours that followed, Steve and Dawn were terrorized by a number of neat beings, not just these monkey men, these impish things. And we'll get into that a little bit in a little bit. Uh, Steve, like I said, Steve was intent on protecting Don. He had some a rifle with him, and I, I think he had more than one firearm with him because he had hoped to go hunting while he was out uh, during, you know, over the weekend. And um, unfortunately, Don received some kind of a telepathic message that said if Steve tried to fire any weapon at any of the creatures, they would both be killed. She communicated this to Steve, and then he himself in his head also heard the same telepathic message. Then what seemed like a thousand of these small red-eyed gremlins ran amok in the desert outside the truck. They were leaping from bushes and all over the vehicle. They were in a, in a childlike, excited frenzy. And the more fanatic that these things became, the more terrified the couple became. And weird 
as this is, even though there was a lot of activity by these creatures, there was absolutely no sound could be heard. And another weird thing too was these creatures were jumping on top of things. Um, although they could hear it, them bouncing on the truck and doing things to the truck, uh, when they were out on the on the bush that's out in the desert, this brush shouldn't have been strong enough to hold the weight of these creatures. Even a three foot tall creature of 20 pounds should make these bushes bend and nothing happened. It was almost like they were floating on top of the branches. At some point, two bizarre sentient beings appeared at the rear of the truck. Now the door to the camper truck was at the tailgate of the truck. And this is where these two creatures lined up. And it was as if they were there to keep Steve and Dawn prisoners. Anytime one of them would approach the door, almost like to leave, the sentient beings would come forward and block them. So they were defi definitely considered a guard to keep them imprisoned. These creature creatures were described as being stout in nature, and they were just the guards. They were like a Mike Tyson. The couple felt that they were definitely going to die, and this was just terrifying and traumatic to them both. Another thing is, at one point, um, the windows were open in the camper truck. And at one point, Steve reached out his hand, and it was like an electric field came from these sentient beings. And it felt like he was electrocuted. It actually threw him back, and he ended up on the floor of the camper truck and ended up having to sit there a few minutes before he recovered. But it was definitely like an electric shock. So they had reason not to try to get out that door. Still being able to see through the windows from the back of the camper, the couple then noticed a massive triangular UFO come over the field, I mean the desert floor. This ship was huge, it was called a mother ship. And it was then that a third type of being appeared. And they were the typical greys. The couple noticed a sulfur smell upon their arrival they had the big bulbous heads, three feet tall gray, with the big almond-shaped wraparound black eyes. Once the, gray, the grays arrived, the couple said that the mind game started in earnest. They described the next day, eight hours as being a period of shock and pain. They could not breathe at times. They were in complete panic mode. They thought they were gonna have heart attacks. They were so scared. It was PTSD for sure. Um, when they would be at their worst state, a calming fog would enter into the camper truck. And at this point, it would bring them back down and it would calm them down enough so they wouldn't die. So that these experiments could just continue. Now these experiments, they were like a psychological mind screw. Sorry for the vulgarity, but it was it was just like a psychological night of hell. It was torture for them. 
At first when it started, for Steve anyway, the uh, experience was kind of positive. It was memories. He had gone back to his childhood and it was like he was not remembering, but actually there and reliving it again. And it was pleasant. He had a nice childhood. Uh, he remembered things that he did that were fun, like trips and things with his family. And he remembered, uh, relived, I should say, not remembered. He was reliving, like his glory days. He was, uh, he worked, he was a football player at a university. And he was reliving all of that, the glory. And it was fun. It was really good for him. At the same time, Dawn was reliving her childhood, and it wasn't so great. When Dawn was eight years old, she was kidnapped and physically abused by a stranger. And that was what her reliving ended up being. And it was terrifying and awful for her. So hers automatically wasn't great. But at first, Steve did enjoy his. Unfortunately for him as well, it changed. They were made to relive all of their memories in the past. Good stuff, bad stuff, mostly bad stuff. It seemed like the creatures were feeding off their emotional pain. In another episode that Steve had, this was a bad episode just to give an example. Steve was like in a safari, only this time instead of being the hunter that he was in life, he was the prey. He didn't figure that out at first. He um, came across some food and was really hungry and was eating the food. And then kind of figured out, hey, this is the way that we bait bears to come in. And at that point, he realized he was being baited in and he was being hunted. And he ran, tried to hide from whatever was, was trying to kill him. He was shot, then tracked, and then skinned alive and eaten. So it wasn't just seeing this. He actually felt it and experienced it and thought it was real. This kept going on for hours and hours and hours. They thought they were going to die. And at some point, Dawn wished for it. She wanted the torment to end. She described it as being in hell. At the point where they just wanted to die, a fourth entity arrived that the both described as being angelic. It was a woman in white with a glowing soft light that told them it's almost over. You are going to be fine. Everything will be okay. When this entity appeared, all the other entities stopped doing what they were doing. And it was also at this point that the truck felt like it was moving. It was rattling and shaking. It was going back and forth. It started to rock. And, it, and then it felt like the entire truck was being levitated. And at the same time this happened, the couple fell asleep. It was almost as if they had been drugged with a powerful sedative and they just lay down in the camper and went to sleep. The next memory they had was actually, <clears throat> excuse me, was actually in the morning when they woke up to bright sunshine coming through the windows of the camper. They went outside just to find some proof of, well, you know, did this really happen? And they couldn't find anything. There were no footprints. There were no marks on their bodies, save a mark 
on on her neck, on Dawn's neck, there was like a pinprick on her neck, which she had no idea where it came from. And other than that, they really didn't have any proof that anything at all had happened. The couple packed up and got out of there. They went back home. They thought maybe, they thought it was over. And while they were driving on the freeway back towards their home near Los Angeles, Dawn spotted an orb that had been following them and followed them the whole way home. In the months that followed, both Dawn and Steve were badly affected by their experience. They eventually did confide in their parents and the parents basically were saying, was it, you know, um, some kind of um, maneuver, like black ops maneuver or something that, that the Air Force was doing or one of the military bases there. And they didn't know. They were just, they were having what is now known as PTSD. It was just not good. Uh, Steve was on the verge of losing his job. They just couldn't function. So they seeked help. And they saw two medical doctors. One was a psychiatrist who said they were completely normal, that they experienced something that was very real to them and very scary. And they didn't call it PTSD then, but it was that's what it's referred to now. And then they also saw a hypnotherapist who put them under hypnotic regression. It was during this regression that they actually remembered what had happened to them after they fell asleep in the camper truck. They had fallen asleep in the truck and then the truck was levitated and taken up the whole truck and everything into the, um, the triangular shaped UFO that was above them. They were abducted by the greys they were taken on board they were experimented on this is kind of like the experience that you hear about about when people say they have had alien abductions this was just like this they had the probes done and medical procedures were performed and all that they just remembered none of it until the regression in the months that followed the incident they experienced really bizarre events at home some of them involved their children one in particular was involved their oldest son who saw red-eyed monsters in his room and there was at least an incident of him floating in midair and spinning around like a top there was also the feeling that they were always being followed and always being watched in the house they saw shadows where absolutely no shadows should have been and they also experienced weird poltergeist-like activity. Things were, would be moved and things would disappear only to suddenly reappear later in a different place. And on one occasion, Don was physically assaulted. It's now been 32 years since this has happened. And nice, nice to say that the couple are still together. Um, they moved away from California. They actually moved to Utah and they became Mormons. And then the they credit, Dawn credits the Mormon faith, excuse me, the Mormon faith for basically helping them to move forward in life. And they are devout Mormons now. They did have a few more children after the incident. They seem to be living a normal life now and they no longer experience any of the weird stuff that they had experienced for a few months afterwards. Again, 
This is called The Mojave Incident by Ron Felber. It is available for purchase at most online bookstores. We're going to take a short break right here, but we'll be right back. Welcome back. Pretty terrifying story, I think. How about you campers out there? Are you going to go camping again after hearing this? I certainly would not be going into the Mojave Desert if it were me. I haven't been camping for a very long time, many years as a matter of fact. And after hearing this, I'm not really, um, I'm not anxious to do it. Let me just put it that way. I'd rather do something else besides that if I'm going to go on a vacation. I'll just go to a hotel and stay and swim at the pool, I think. So on to the next. This is another story about some campers. This comes from Insider.com. It's a weird tale from Redditor C.C. Kaufman that states, This happened to me when I was little. I went camping with my older brother and my mom. I was only about 7 or 8 and I went to bed around 10 in a sleeping bag inside my tent. Both my mom and my brother were there too. Sometime during the night, I don't know when, I woke up somewhere in the middle of the woods, still in my sleeping bag. I had no idea where I was or where my tent was. I screamed for my mom and I heard her calling back for me in a panicked voice, but she was easily a hundred yards away or so. To this day, I have no idea how I ended up in the middle of the woods, still inside my sleeping bag. Well, C.C. Kaufman, I don't know how you did that either. Isn't that freaky? This one comes from thelineup.com. And Alex Drops reports a strange attack when camping in the Allegheny National Forest with some friends. One night they were sitting around the fire when someone or something started throwing rocks at their tent somewhere in the darkness. Initially, they thought it was a group of pranksters from a neighboring camp. But when they took a look around the camp, there was no sign of anyone but them. A few hours later, they heard a piercing scream. The two spent the rest of the night unsettled, but never discovered what had happened. These next few stories are for the ghost hunters out there. There are many, many places that claim to be haunted. Are you one of those folks just looking to stay in a haunted location? Are you brave enough to try it? This is a fun vacation tip. If you go to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, you can take a ghost tour. There's lots of fun things to do there. It's very educational. If you go in the summertime around the 4th of July, it's actually when the battle took place and there are reenactments that are done. It's very, very interesting. But the very cool thing about Gettysburg is that anywhere you go in Gettysburg or you stay is considered haunted doesn't have to be a certain house or farmhouse or bed and, bed and breakfast. They're all considered to have activity there. And I know this from a family trip that we took when my kids were like uh, seven and nine. Everything, including the restaurants that you go to to eat, the wax museum, especially every hotel is considered to be haunted. And they all have stories to tell. They all, all have experiences. So 
just keep that in mind. Go visit Gettysburg. Maybe you'll be the next one to see a soldier on the battlefield that is not a reenactor. And if you're really lucky, maybe something in your hotel room will move around on you. Interesting, right? So, our next story is calling out all the single ladies out there. Would you stay here? The Texas White House Bed and Breakfast is located in Fort Worth, Texas. It was built in 1910. It was a home, but eventually turned into a bed and breakfast. It's said that the original owner, a Mr. Newkirk, haunts the Lone Star Room, which was formerly his bedroom. Guests have reported things like their bed lifting or feeling something walk past them. Another freaky tidbit is that when single women stay in the room, they sometimes experience the sensation that someone's sleeping next to them, only to reach over and find that nobody's there. This excerpt's from allstays.com, reporting two encounters in the Lone Star Room. In one, the woman awoke in the middle of the night to the feeling that someone was lying on the bed beside her, back to back. She says that for several minutes, she lay perfectly still. Then she felt the person start to move off the bed. At this point, she turned over very quickly to see who it was, and nobody was there. The overhead light then came on, even though no one had turned it on. In another event, the woman awoke feeling someone getting into bed with her. She turned over immediately to see who it was, and of course no one was there, but immediately afterwards, her cell phone, which was plugged in several feet away, began to beep and wouldn't stop for several minutes. She says that her phone had never done that before. Another place for ghost hunters is the Excelsior House Hotel located in Jefferson, Texas. It's said to be haunted by at least two ghosts, a headless man and a woman in all black. And it has, um, it's been in continuous operation for um, over 100 years. It was built in 1858. And we have a well-documented story about the Excelsior House from none other than director extraordinaire Steven Spielberg. Now Spielberg was in Jefferson during the 70s filming his movie Sugarland Express. And he told columnist John Anders of the Dallas Morning News, we dragged ourselves up, we dragged ourselves upstairs after a rough day. I swear my room was haunted. I made everyone wake up, pack up and get back in cars at two o'clock in the morning. We had to drive 20 miles to the nearest Holiday Inn and everybody was hot at me. I should add that I am not normally superstitious. Spielberg was staying upstairs in the east wing of the Excelsior in the gold room. And apparently what spooked Spielberg after, uh, during this event was that he had thrown his brief briefcase down onto the couch that was in his room. And when he had done so, it came back up and flew right back at him. And then something resembling a boy approached him and asked him what he wanted for breakfast. But it wasn't really a boy. So it's interesting to note that after this experience is when um, he wrote the screenplay for the classic movie Poltergeist. Maybe that's where he got the idea. So a few other haunted hotels. A few other haunted hotels that you can book a stay in include the following. 
So I'm going to start with one called the Omni Bedford Springs Hotel and Spa, located in Bed Bedford, Pennsylvania. It, it would be an out of the way hotel. So if you're into that, they have reports of several ghosts, not just one. And these reports come from guests and staff alike. If you'd rather go to the most haunted hotel in America, then you could try out the 1886 Crescent Hotel and Spa in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. If you're in Texas, Texas seems to have a lot of haunted places, doesn't it? So the Emily Morgan Hotel in San Antonio is supposedly haunted. If you go there, they actually encourage you to ask questions about the odd activity there. So that's pretty cool. The staff is directed to um, tell you about things. So that'd be pretty neat. And finally, what's a list of haunted hotels without the Stanley? The Stanley Hotel is located in Estes Park, Colorado. And this is the hotel that actually inspired Stephen King to write The Shining. I just want to say that's all for today's podcast. Thank you for tuning in. And I hope that you liked the show. If you did, please tell a friend, give us a rating and hit subscribe. If you have a story you'd like to share on Petrifaction, you can contact me at pd at petrifaction at protonmail.com. And the correct spelling for that will be in the show notes. So it's pd at at petrifaction at protonmail.com. And remember to check out the show notes for more information on today's stories. Please return next time to hear more stories and... Be petrified. <laughs>